This morning we're going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before, but I'm going to revisit a message that I preached just a few weeks ago. That weekend that we had the torrential rain, we had about a third of the church that made it. So if you made it, pardon me, I, I just changed it up a little bit to, to help those that heard it already. But let's talk about relational stress. We in this series called Decompress, and um, we're talking about people who are living way down, burdened down, stressed out, overwhelmed by these different things in our life. And one of those things is relational stress. And so today we're going to talk about reducing relational stress. Because what I've found is that relational stress visits everybody. And I don't think you heard what I just said because you'd have probably said amen if you'd have really heard what I just said. But relational stress affects everybody. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus, the Bible says, came that in John 10, 10, he said, my purpose is to give give everyone a rich and satisfying life. But how many of you know you can't enjoy a satisfying life if you live in under relational tension? Isn't that true? I mean, all of a sudden it takes all the fun out of life when you're living under relational stress. And, you know, more and more today, there's people that are living in relational stress. You know, we see it as pastors when we go to the when we go to the uh, to to the funeral homes and stuff where you have family sitting on either side of the parlor and their siblings. And you say, what's going on here? Well, they, they got some relational stress going on. And so I think you would all agree that living with relational conflict is one of the greatest weights of life. Would you agree with that? It is one of the greatest weights of life. And uh, and you can't live a joyful, peaceful life with relational weight. So, you know, multiple studies indicate that relational stress is one of the top five most common causes of stress in our society. And when you look at the top ten, half of those are relationally related. And so, you know, I read an article dealing with the surprising signs and symptoms of relational stress. And let me just give you those real quick. Number one, one, one sign and symptom of relational stress is bizarre and reoccurring dreams. In other words, sleep interruption. Another one is jaw and tooth pain from unresolved tension. Another one is hair loss. And hair changes, stomach and intestinal problems, twitching, acne and complexion problem. Hey, hey, don't cut me up. Don't you dare touch that dial. <clears throat> Regular illness, severe cramps, itchy skin and rashes, ab abdominal fat. Everybody suck in. Everybody suck in right now. What you talking about? But as you can see, relational stress takes a terrible toll on your health. But it's not just your health, right? It's your emotional life. It's every area of your spiritual life. So we need to figure out a way to unload this relational stress so we can live a healthier life. Now, Romans 12, 18 says this, as much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. As much as it is impossible. Now, the scripture admonishes us to work hard at living at peace with everyone as much as it is possible. But the reality is it can be very hard to live at peace with everyone. Have you found that out? 
Come on, I just heard one amen. Hey, it's all right if you're honest here at church. How many of you would agree? Sometimes it's hard to live at peace with everyone. Now, I've learned that it's not always possible to live at peace with everyone. But that's why the scripture admonishes, admonishes us as much as it is possible. Sometimes it's virtually impossible. And the reason is some people have absolutely no peace in their life. And so they can't get along with anybody. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? It's almost impossible to get along with somebody that don't get along with themselves. Right? You know, somebody said, you know, hurting people hurt people and easily hurt by people. You loving some people is like hugging a porcupine. Man, it'll prick you. Amen. Oh, I love you. Ow! So listen, even though it's not always possible to live at peace with others, if we want to reduce relational stress, we must do everything in our power to live at peace with others. And so Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's our relational responsibility to make every effort to live at peace. It's not okay to hold offense and to, and, to, and to be living at odds with other people. It's not okay. As Christians, we need to deal with it whenever it's in our power. And so Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus said, if you are standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God and suddenly remember that a friend has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and apologize and be reconciled to him and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So in other words, Jesus makes it clear. It's our Christian responsibility to do everything we can to try to live at peace with others. Amen. Shall we close in prayer right now? So now let's consider this. Although we're not guaranteed to be at peace with everyone. It's never a good enough reason to not try. And that's why the scripture says make effort. Make every effort. And there are things that we can do to help reduce relational stress. And there's things that we can do to contribute to relational stress, right? And it's, you know, I look at it like this. Some, some, some people are relational arsonists. You know what an arsonist is? Somebody that starts fires intentionally. And a firefighter is somebody that turns out fires. And so we can either be a relational arsonist or we can be a firefighter. How many of you think the Lord wants us to be a firefighter? Amen. So let's talk about how to reduce relational tension in our life. And I want to give you three skills. And the first one is this. The first skill to reducing relational tension in your life is learn how to stop igniting relational fires. You know, it could be, let's learn, let's learn how not to be an arsonist. Amen. And so sometimes without realizing it, we're the ones that is constantly causing conflict and strife. We're starting relational fires wherever we go. And in my mind, I see it like this. It's kind of like relationally speaking, we're walking around with a box of matches. And everywhere we go, like, hey, hey, hey how's everything going? Everything good? Yeah, it's good. And before you know, phew, we throw a match right there. And all of a sudden, there's, there's some bickering, some gossip, some, some trouble, some drama 
going on right there. And then we leave that place and we go over there. We come to church and everybody, hey, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We all love Jesus. Let's love Jesus together. Before you know it, strike a match. A fire starts right there. And so we become these relational arsonists and we start fires wherever we go. And we have to take a we have to take a moment to say, wait a minute. Why is drama following me? Come on, are y'all with me out there? Smile real big right now, okay? So how do relational fires get started? What, 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 what are we contributing to relational fires? Well, I think there's many different ways we start fires, but let's just look at a few of them. Sometimes it's the unfiltered words we use that start conflicts. I mean, man, sometimes we can say the most cutting things. Like, think about what you're saying before you say it. Because words go down to the depth of your of a person's heart. Amen? Proverbs 18.6 says, Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. Amen? And so listen, our cutting words and our hurtful comments start fights. And they keep us in constant quarrels. And we say, why didn't people want to come around? Why didn't people want to? Well, maybe, maybe we got a problem with our mouth. And as James says, that tongue can start a forest fire. Amen. And then here's another one. Sometimes it's our greediness that starts quarrels. Greediness. Proverbs 28, 25 says, a greedy person stirs up a fight. And whoever trusts the Lord prospers. You know what greediness is? Is having an out of control desire for things. How many of you know an out of control desire for things will put you in tension with people? Amen. Because nobody likes to be stolen from. Nobody likes to be taken from, right? And so another one is our selfishness that starts relational fights. Selfishness is when you only care about yourself your own personal interests, your own personal welfare and benefit. And whenever you become selfish, I mean, listen, it's in the heart of everybody to be selfish. But whenever you get around selfish people and they are, they're the one grabbing everything, you just that don't go well with you. And you don't like to hang around there, right? And sometimes whenever you lack a little bit of self-control, you'll say something about it. And there you go. There's a fight right there. Amen. James 4, 1 says, don't you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You know, a lot of the, a lot of marital fights is a result of selfishness. But sometimes it's our, our personal pride. It's our pride that starts fights when we, that we get into. Now, you know, the thing about pride is we're the last one to know that we got it. Cause we don't think we got it. I'm not. Bless the Lord, I humbly will say, I am not prideful. <laughs> but Proverbs 13.10 says, pride causes arguments. But those who listen to others are wise. You know, pride is that attitude of, I have to win every argument. I have to be right and you have to be wrong. I have to prove you're wrong. And I have to have the last word. Pride is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And sometimes it comes out 
It comes out in our speech. It comes out in our behavior. It comes out in our countenance. And without realizing it, you know, we're, we're winning arguments. But how many of you know you can win every argument and kill every relationship around you? You can, you can be like a Philadelphia lawyer and make your case bigger than Dallas, but lose, but be breaking every relationship that you, you have in your life. So we got to remember the Bob principle. And the Bob principle says this. If Bob has problems with everyone around him, then Bob is usually the problem. Amen. Now here's a suggestion. We use, we need to use the mirror principle. Now the mirror principle says basically we got to look at the mirror and we got to be honest with ourselves. Amen. And say, okay, when I get in a fight, why did I get in a fight? Why am I in relational conflict? And the mirror principle says, if you want to reduce relational tension in your life, you have to take a good look in the mirror, be honest with yourself and say, man, I might have something going on with me that's causing these problems in my life. How many of you know that'll help right there? Amen. Come on. Y'all agree with that? Okay. I'm glad you do. Because if you didn't, I might suggest you might be prideful. Right. So the second skill to reducing relational tension in your life is this dealing with your own internal relational tension. You know, as I said before, you can't get along with somebody that can't get along with themselves. But I honestly believe it's virtually impossible to resolve relational conflict with others until you resolve the personal relational conflict within yourself. I mean, if you have no peace in your life, how can you go around in a peaceful way? And so listen, it's hard to walk in peace with others when you have no personal peace. And so we got to deal with this. Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And notice what it says there. It cautions us to watch out for the poisonous root of bitterness. And it says, if you don't watch out for it, it's going to corrupt many. Bitterness is the result of not properly dealing with hurts or wounds or offenses in your life. And when you don't properly deal with them, it causes a root of bitterness. Anger is caused by, by hurts and wounds and offenses. But if your anger is not dealt with as, a, as an infant, It'll grow up to be a large, mighty root of bitterness. And when the poisonous root of bitterness enters your spirit or enters your life, it contaminates your life. It causes contamination. And so then you well, the well of the spirit of your, of your life is poison. And so anybody that comes to take a drink of the, of what's in your spirit, what they're going to get is poisonous water. And they're going to get contaminated with what's on the inside of you. Does that make sense? And so if we're going to get along with others, we got to deal with this. That's why the scripture encourages us to deal with anger. Because some of us are like a volcano. And it's just a matter of time where somebody says the wrong thing. I mean, man, you got to be, you got to be walk like on eggshells. You got to be very careful what you say around certain people. Cause if you say the wrong thing, man, you're going to press that little button and fire is going to start coming out of their head like a volcano out of their head and out of their mouth. Right. And so you got to be very careful. But the reason is, is because they got wounded. They got hurt. Somebody offended them. They didn't deal with it. And that anger becomes a root 
The scripture says in Ephesians 4.26, if you become angry, don't let your anger lead you into sin and don't stay angry all day. Don't give the devil a chance. In verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, passion and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tenderhearted to one another. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven you. How many of you are glad to be forgiven of your sins? He said, okay. If you're grateful, then go and forgive those who offend you. In verse, in, in, in verse 32, he said, instead, be kind and tenderhearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you. So the bottom line is forgiving those that hurt us is, is essential to living, to living at peace in your life to reducing relational tension in your life. Amen? Forgiveness is the greatest way to reduce relational tension. Amen? And it's the greatest way to build healthy relationships. I am convinced if you don't learn how to be a good forgiver, you will never build great relationships in your life because nobody's perfect out there. Have you noticed that? And it's just a matter of time. Somebody's going to say something, do something that's going to hurt your feelings, and you got to learn how to forgive. Amen? So if you want to lighten your load relationally, you must forgive others, right? A third skill to reducing relational tension in your life is this. Becoming a relational firefighter activist. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, I believe that God not only wants us to keep relational fires out of our lives, God wants us to help others. And sometimes we don't realize, like, you overhear in a conversation and somebody says something about the John over here, and we can't wait to tell John about what they said. You're starting a fight. Do you have to go tell John what they said? Listen, obviously they have a problem with criticalness, and they're being critical, but do you have to go tell John what they said? Because if you do, you're starting a fight. And wouldn't it be better for you not to repeat that and just let that die down? Come on, the proverb says without, without wood, the fire goes out. Amen. And so, you know, we can be one of these that, that stirs it up, man. Or we can be one that just calms it down. And I believe that God wants us to be one of those that calms it down. Amen. You know, a true firefighter not only cares about the, whether there's a fire in his house, he cares about whether there's fires in everybody else's house. And so they promote peace. They promote peace, and that's what God wants us to be. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, it's one of the, it's one of the, the be happy attitudes. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers, the peacemakers. And so there's two kinds of people. There's troublemakers and peacemakers. The troublemakers are the ones that start the fights all the time. They're, they, they're not happy unless they're in a good, juicy fight somewhere. But you know, the consequences of that is they constantly live in turmoil. They have high stress levels. They usually suffer with high blood pressure. They have trouble sleeping. They, their hair's falling out. All that kind of stuff. And they suffer with mental anxiety. But then there's the peacemakers. And they're the ones that are always trying to just, they're just trying to, man, listen, don't, don't worry about what they said. Don't, don't I, I'm not going to go tell them what they said. I'm going to try to cover their faults here. They try to keep unity. 
And you know, the Bible, in Proverbs, it says one of the things the Lord hates, he hates people that start, that cause discord. He hates it. Why? Because there's such power in unity. He's, listen, God is our father, isn't he? And as the father of the house, he don't want his children fighting and squabbling everywhere. He wants us getting along. Amen. Because, man, there's a blessing. Psalm 133 says, the blessing of God is when brethren dwell together in unity. Amen? And so God wants us to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Amen? And now the characteristic of a, of a peacemaker is they have a whole lot less tension in their life. They have a whole lot less stress. They live a healthier life physically. They don't have as much pr stomach problems. Amen? Because they just have peace inside when you got peace outside. Let me ask you a question. Are you a troublemaker or a peacemaker? God wants you to be a peacemaker. And he says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. Amen? Does that make sense to you? So then the question is, how do you become a peacemaker? Well, 1 Peter 3 gives us the solution. How many of you know the Bible will give you the solution? Amen? First, characteristics of peacemakers. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, Peter gives us three keys to becoming peacemakers. Now, listen. It's easy to be a troublemaker when you're lost. But when you become a Christian, you should kind of move over towards being a peacemaker. Wouldn't you say that? So we got to learn. Okay, how do I not be a troublemaker and be a peacemaker? We got to learn. And so Peter lays it out right here. He gives us three keys to transitioning from a troublemaker to a peacemaker. And first he says, be sympathetic, loving, and compassionate. Be sympathetic, loving, and compassionate. Now, sympathetic means you have to have feelings or concern towards other people. You got to get, you got to have compassion too. He says compassion. It means to be deeply moved by someone else's need to the point that you're willing even to help meet that need. And so as a Christian, we should have more sympathy. We should have more compassion. In fact, the Bible says in Mark 141 that Jesus was moved with compassion. And he put forth his hand and he touched the leper. Now, in the day and age, the lepers were, you know, oh, I'm not even going to associate. Oh, man, they got the plague and I'm not going to even. But Jesus he, he just trans, he transgressed all of the, the cultural mindsets. And he said, no, I'm not running away from the leper. I'm running to the leper. He was moved with compassion and it made him do something. I think we need a fresh dose of sympathy and compassion in our lives. Wouldn't you say? And so listen, when we start being moved with compassion, We'll stop worrying about what others say and why they said it. And we'll start worrying about how we can help them. Does that make sense? Nothing will quench relational fires around you more than sympathy and compassion. And so first Peter says, be sympathetic and compassionate. The next key 
to being a peacemaker. Peter says, be humble, be humble. He says, be compassionate and humble, verse 8. Now listen, being humble means you don't have to win every argument. Being humble means you don't have to be always right. Being humble means you don't have to prove why they're wrong and why you're right. You see? And you know, what I've noticed is that most arguments or most fights I get into, the root of me arguing back is my pride. That's the root of my arguing back, is my pride. And if I could ball it down, if I could strip it down, why did you return evil for evil? Is because of my pride. Our goal is not to be right, but to promote unity among others and to love others and enjoy the blessing of being a peacemaker. Amen? Humility says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Let's make this right. Let's not fight. Let's not quarrel. How many of you know the devil wants us fighting? The devil wants us quarreling. You know, if the blessing of God is in unity, then he wants to disrupt the blessing of God. Amen? And if you just remember that, the devil always wants fights and Jesus always wants peace. And the devil will always try to get us fighting with each other because as soon as we fight with each other, we lose the blessing of God, the blessing of joy, the blessing of peace, the blessing of tranquility. Amen. So let's not work into the hands of the enemy and let's work with God. Amen. Whenever we have a good, solid chance to start a fight, let's pass up the opportunity. Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. Let's just pass up the opportunity. Amen. And so, you know, really, if you think about, just pay attention. Whenever you get in an argument, get in a little bickering, and it's not necessarily, you know, like a fight. It can be just bickering. No, you did this. No, I didn't do that. You know. Gee, is that the way to live life? Is that the way Jesus wants us to live life? Humility says, I want to do whatever it takes. Let's let's have peace in the house. Amen. Y'all agree with that? If you agree with that, say amen. amen. All right. And then finally, Peter says, he tells us to be a peacemaker. Be godly. <laughs> be godly. How many think that's a good idea right there? Be godly. How many are like, well, that that's self-evident, isn't it? Be godly. You know, you could be saved 50 years and not be godly. Oh, I just preached right there. Amen. Listen, getting old in the Lord don't mean you grow up in the Lord. There's some more preaching right there. Amen. And so listen, 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. So if somebody says, you, you know, you, you did this. Well, you did that. Lick for lick. Right. So my paraphrase of what what Peter is saying, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. My paraphrase is Peter saying, don't be evil, be godly. Don't be evil, be godly. Come on, y'all too quiet this morning. 
Oh, you're too quiet. Come on, y'all help me this morning. So I think what Peter is saying is like, take the boxing gloves off. You know, it's like, you know, in the world, I mean, whenever you're not saved, you got to keep your boxing gloves on. You never know where you're going to go and somebody takes a, takes a lick at you, right? And then you got to have your gloves on so you can hit back, right? When we get saved and we keep our boxing gloves on, somebody takes a lick. Oh, yeah. Well, watch this. And they got people laid out in church. They got slain in the spirit. No, no, no. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. They just returned an insult for insult, man. And they laid out out here. Amen. And so listen, with the measure, listen, the true measure of our spirituality, I believe, is not how much we flow into gifts, but it's determined by our ability to get along with others. The true measure of spirituality, I believe, is to learn how to get along with others. And listen, and it's to learn how not to offend others, right? I think, I mean, think about Jesus. He could walk in and walk out of a crowd. The only people he ever, he ever irritated was the religious people. But everybody else, he could go in with the, with the, with the shysters, man, and win them. He could, he could go in with the, the, you know, the smelly fishermen and win them. He had this ability to walk in and out of people's lives and make a friend wherever he went. And I think we should be like that too. Amen? Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of environment were you raised in? Think about the house you came up in. Did people wear boxing gloves in your house? I mean, listen, did, did they like return evil for evil and insult for insult? Did they have some holes in the wall because of the way they settled conflict? And so listen, a home that, were you raised in a home that's always fighting, screaming, and yelling to settle arguments or disagreements? Or were you raised in a home that knew how to talk through and settle arguments positively and peacefully? You know, in pre-marriage counseling, one of the things that we talk about is positive conflict resolution. You're going to have conflict, but you got to learn how to positively settle that argument. And you'll never settle an argument with your boxing gloves on. You got to take your boxing gloves off. Amen. But sometimes we get saved, but we're still dealing with our relationships with the way that we learned from our upbringing. And God's wanting to, He's wanting to retrain, He's wanting to retrain us. Amen. He's like, listen. Listen, instead of giving them a lick, you could just say, I'm sorry. You could just say, oh, please forgive me. And you could settle arguments like that. Just with those simple words. And so the reality is sometimes as Christians, we're repeating the same dysfunctional behavior that we learned before we were Christians. And Jesus is wanting to change us He's wanting to get rid of that dysfunctional behavior so that they got peace in our house. Amen. How many of you think that's a great idea right there? Amen. See, the good news is that Jesus is wanting to deliver us. And you see, some of the things we just talked about that Peter lays out, be compassionate. It's like learn to get in somebody else's skin. Are they stressed out? Are they, are they going through a tough time? You know, think about why they said or what they did, what they did. And maybe it'll help you to not respond so quickly. You know, come on, just be, be a little bit more compassionate. Be godly. 
Who's going to be the mature one? Who's going to be the one to not return a lick for a lick? Amen? Now, let me, let me just wrap it all up this morning by talking about what I believe is the key to reducing relational conflict. Everything I said so far, I think can be balled down to this. Listen, we'll never able, we'll never be able to control what people say to us, what people do to us, how people treat us. We'll never be able to control that. But what we can control is how we respond to it. What we can control is how we respond to people that mistreat us or say rough things and all that, right? And so Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about, about why he, you know, they were saying, is it okay to, to divorce? And, uh, and they, they had this conversation. And, and, uh, and he said, he said Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Hard hearts is what causes divorce. Right? Remember when we talked about sometimes it's our unfiltered words that cause, that cause fights. Well, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an... What you say flows from what is in your... You see, there's nothing that reflects more my heart than paying attention to what I say. See, if I have a need to tell everybody how good I am, that's an indication I got a pride problem. See, if I got, if, if I have a, if I have a tough time with, with sharing, that's an indication I got a selfishness problem. If it's, if it's gotta be my way all the time, I got a problem with my heart. Are y'all with me? And so, listen, sometimes it's our personal pride that starts fights. And what does the scripture say? Proverbs 18, 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. You know, when you really think about it, what causes most of our relational issues is the condition of our heart. If our heart is right with God, then then, then we should be able to get along better with others. An indication that I need to spend more time in the presence of God is if I am, I can tell, and you can tell when you just cut somebody. You can tell when you just hurt somebody. I, an indication that I need to spend more time in the presence of God is whenever I start having relational problems. I need to get in the presence of God and I need my heart worked on. I need my heart softened. And you know, listen, I, you can, you can get, you could go to Walmart and get stuff for stress. Right? You, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you could go to the gym and deal with some stress. But when your stress, relational stress is caused by your heart, you can go to the gym five days a week and you're still going to have relational problems. Right? Because, you know, listen, 50 minutes on the treadmill is not going to soften your heart. 
Amen? You know, listen, you might be able to sleep better by taking some melatonin or something. But listen, if your heart is causing you tension, your relational tension, all the melatonin in the world and a good night's sleep won't settle your relational problems. You have to deal with your heart. Amen? The relational issue is really an issue of the heart. And so that's why the scripture says, guard your heart. But the good news is that Jesus is willing to give us a new heart if we're wanting one. And this is what Ezekiel 36, 26 says. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Even if you know what Peter said, be godly, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. Even if you know that. Your flesh don't want to be all that. Your flesh don't want to be humble. Your flesh don't want to be comp compassionate. I'll show you what kind of compassion I got. Come on. The street is going to come out of you. Come on, you right? That's what's in our nature. It's just a, the human nature, the nature of, of, of Satan himself. Amen. He'll try to show up in you every day. The only way we can really have a sympathetic, compassionate heart is whenever Jesus softens our heart. Whenever Jesus takes that old stony heart and he does heart surgery on it, pulls that thing out and gives us a brand new heart. Amen. Come on. I need a new heart. What about you? Come on. Would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer. Let's close this thing up. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we get ready to con conclude. How's the relational tension in your life? How's the relational tension? Are, are you having some tension in your life? Well, well, let's talk about it for just a moment. And then we'll go home. Just close your eyes with me for just a moment. We've got to stop starting relational fires. Just take a moment right now to just ask the Lord to, to help you use the mirror principle. Let's take a hard look in the mirror. Start working. Our tendency is to point the finger at other people. But let's look in the mirror this morning. Well, let's ask the Lord to help us to look at ourselves this morning. Maybe some of us, maybe we're, we've been poisoned. We've been poisoned. We've been around a lot of hurt. And I don't fault you for that, but it, it's just natural. When people hurt you, you get angry. You're angry. And when you get angry time and time again, when people hurt you again and again, it can turn into can turn into poison. Can we just open up our heart today to the Lord and say, Lord, God, I need a new heart. Maybe some of us have that dysfunction of thinking that being in the middle of a good fight is purposeful. realizing we're working into the hands of the enemy. 
This morning, we just need to just ask the Lord to give us a new heart. Can we do that today, gang? How many of you today say, man, this, I'm, I'm feeling convicted this morning. I'm feeling convicted. I feel like the Lord is talking to me. Listen, I'm the first one to raise my hands. I, I'm convicted. I'm convicted here. Anybody feeling convicted? Come on. Let's, let's, if, if you just feel like you need the Lord to soften your heart this morning, you need, you need the Lord to change your heart. We can't change on our own. If that's you, just, just slip your hands up like this, like me, and, and let's just open up our heart before the Lord. Let's ask Him for help today. Come on, let's ask Him for help. Let's ask Him to soften our heart today. Come on, let's ask Him to take our stony, stubborn heart. Let's ask Him to take our callous. Come on, let's ask Him to take our, our, our poison spirit and just put it, make it sweet again. Come on, let's just ask the Lord right now to just give us a brand new heart. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would release grace over this place. God, I pray, let the love of Jesus just fill and flood every heart and every life. And Lord, I ask right now, Lord, that you bring reconciliation in, in relationships, God, and that you just cause fighting and quarreling to cease right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask ask you, Lord, to break the power of darkness right now. Lord, we don't want to play in the hands of the enemy. We want to play in the hands of the Lord. God, we want to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, but we need your help today. And so we corporally cry out to you and say, Lord Jesus, help us overcome our flesh and the works of the flesh and begin to flow and walk in the Spirit of God. Lord, we release ourselves to you and we say, Lord, fill our heart today with the love and the presence of God, thank you, Jesus, for just changing us today. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, now just, just receive now. Just receive. Come on. Maybe you just need, Lord, forgive me. Come on, maybe you need to forgive somebody right now. Maybe you just need to release your hurt and just say, Lord, I release it right now. Lord, I want my heart to be right today. Come on, just in a, in a second, in an instant, your heart can be made right with God. Just ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Give me a sweet spirit, Lord. Give me a sweet heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now listen, with everybody's hands down now, if you hear today and you say, Todd, you know, whenever you really ball it down, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God. I'm in church today. But I don't know that I've ever given my life to Christ. Listen, the Bible says that whenever you become a Christian, you become a new creation, a new, a new creature in Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you ask Him to forgive your sins, that's where the transformation takes place. If you hear today and you say, Todd, would you pray for me? I've never given my life to Christ. I want you to just indicate that by raising your hand and just say, say that's me. Would you pray a prayer with me? Just raise your hand and raise it high so I can see it. Just raise it high so I can see it. And I want to pray that prayer. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for shedding your blood so my sins could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I want to be a Christian. I want to live the Christian life. Thank you, Father God, for cleansing my heart, giving me a new heart today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now listen, if you pray that prayer, do me a favor. Come up and talk to somebody at the altar here. We have a special gift for you to help you get started in this journey. And just tell them, I prayed that prayer at the end of the service. 
or go into the foyer, go to the information desk and tell them and, and they'll help you out, okay? Now, I just want to pray a blessing over you. I believe God sent Jesus to die on the cross so we can live blessed, amen? I believe we can have a favored life, a blessed life. Do you agree with that? I want my life to be blessed and favored. What about you? I want to pray a, a blessing, a benediction over you. Father, I pray right now for this congregation. God, I thank you for grace and more grace to be upon your people today. Lord, thank you for favor. Thank you, Lord, for supernatural, abundant grace that is flowing. Lord, I pray that they would have an abundantly blessed week this week. There their family would be blessed. Their children would be blessed. Their business would be blessed. Their jobs would be blessed. Their emotions would be blessed. Spirit, soul, and body, may they be blessed of the Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody that received that said amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. If not, have a great day.